scribes and scribblers, welcome back to the Nib Section, the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. This is Diana. We're recording on Easter Sunday, and I'm here with Sharon, my co-host. How are you, Sharon? I'm good. How are you, Di? As far as long weekends go, it could be better. Um, There could be more festivities. There could be more gathering with family. But as far as, you know, staying safe goes, um, it's been pretty easy. It's been pretty relaxed. So um, it's just Sharon and I today because we're going to be running down a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of recent acquisitions. (laughs) We don't do this very often because as much as I am a hoarder, Di has professed that she is very selective in her collection and she doesn't – she doesn't have the same ad hoc purchasing tendencies that she once did when she was part of this hobby. So in terms of acquisitions, we don't tend to do them in bulk, but it just so happened that I was reflecting on everything that I had received in the post, which was almost every single day I was receiving something in the post. I said to Di, I think both of us have actually gotten a fair new, a few new acquisitions. Um, Let's do a rundown. See what we think. Yeah. Um, before we get into what has arrived in our post lately, let's run down on what we're writing with today. So, Sharon, what are you writing with today? I am writing with uh, the ST Dupont Olympio. This is the large size, so not the extra large, the large, not the medium, but the large. The large <laughs> that used to be called the medium, but was then renamed the large. So, in case you didn't understand that, it is a DuPont Olympia, not the largest size, the second largest size. I call that the small. No, because there's a medium. So <laughs> what do you the, call the medium? The but, tiny? But the medium is completely different shape. So I don't call mm. that the Olympia at all. Mm. Isn't that one now called um, something It doesn't else? exist anymore. It's called the Montparnasse or something, isn't it? No, the Montparnasse is the cigar, long oh, cigar okay. one. Well, <laughs> anyway, so this one is the not the largest Olympia. It's called the Diamond Head, which I'm not a fan of the name, but, you know, you take what you get. Um, It is a palladium-plated all-metal pen, um, all-metal body, all-metal grip, and it has the classic DuPont uh, medium nib, and I've got it inked with uh, Mont Blanc Unicef Blue. I was feeling rather peaceful one day. So I've been writing with this pen for the last week or so. And so what was really tragic was that when I re-picked up this pen to ink it up, I had completely blanked on what it was called. Like I just completely forgot what it was called. And I was thinking and thinking and thinking and I couldn't figure it out. So I went back to have a look at my ink logs and to see when was the last time I inked this pen and what it was called. And the last time I inked this pen, shockingly was before I started the ink log system because I could not find it in my last, what, five years worth of ink logs. Um, So then I asked my good friend Google uh, what this was and uh, in combination with pensinasia.com, which I use for its um, excellent archive of old pens, I found out that this was called the Diamond Head. So yes, Um, and it's... I I think I mentioned it's inked with the UNICEF blue. So top tip, the UNICEF blue is a really, really nice ink. Isn't it really washed out? It's not. It's not. It's, um, It's a turquoise. It's a turquoise ink. It's quite, it's actually quite nice. So 
Um, if you want the Mont Blanc UNICEF Blue, but you don't want to spend the Mont Blanc UNICEF Blue price, get Lamy Turquoise. The two are very, very similar. And Lamy Turquoise is a fraction of the price. So the UNICEF Blue, it's an interesting one because when you leave it in a pen, it does get quite dark. But once you start riding with it again, it lightens up quite a bit. So when you when you first start riding with it, it's a very, very vibrant turquoise. It does get a little bit lighter, but then the shading becomes more obvious. I think it's quite a nice ink, personally. It doesn't run particularly wet, so it's good in very wet pens. Um, but as a whole, I think it's a great shading ink. My pen that I'm writing with today is a new arrival. So last, I think it was in December, just before the Christmas break. Um, November or December? November or December, we heard about the Mont Blanc, Le Petit Prince, the uh, Happy Holidays limited edition. AKA we did a whole episode on it called <laughs> Gem on a Nib. <laughs> Yes, the Gem on a Nib, um, and it's the Le Petit Prince version, the burgundy-coloured Solitaire. So it has a 146 size nib, but it's a slightly larger, heavier body with metal at the uh, top of the cap and at the back of the pen, so where the turning knob is. It's just a like a heavier, more substantial version of the 146. Um, we were, well, very much in anticipation for this particular pen because it has a ruby on the nib, a very, very, very small ruby, but a gem nonetheless. And um, I initially tried to order it through the Mont Blanc Boutique in Castlereagh Street, but they didn't – yes, the one in Sydney, but they didn't have the nib size. I wanted it um, in stock, and in order to get it, they would have to order it from – uh, their Hong Kong distributor and the Hong Kong distributor would have to wait for Europe to send it to them. So it was quite a long, laborious process. And I was like, um, it's cheaper for me to buy it from Europe anyway. And it might be a little bit faster. So what we ended up doing is ordering from Joost um, at Appleboom in the Netherlands. And um, it still took quite a while because... <laughs> <laughs> so to be fair... Um, we both ordered these non non stock sort of size nibs. Yeah, so we ordered non stock nib sizes. We ordered EFs, and um, originally we placed the order as soon as information became available on this particular pen. Um, we were told that the fine nibs came in quite quickly, but the EFs took up until March to come in. This was a yeah. Christmas edition. So the, the fines and mediums were available by January, but um, to get a nib swap for other sizes took quite a bit longer. And I think that's understandable because um, when you replace the nib, it's a lot of work on these nibs and I'm it's there's even the possibility that they're actually made to order because they're they've got the Le Petit Prince engraved on them and they have of course the ruby um embedded into the nib so I was actually surprised that the nib came in so many different sizes because you can also get this in so the EF the F the medium the broad not the OBB, as we initially thought, but did you, no, do you know if they no were available OBB, in BB? No BB. Okay. I think there was an OM and an OB, but don't quote me on that. Mm. Definitely EFMF, uh, EFFMB. Um, I had put in an order for an OBB, like 
way outside of my comfort zone. Yeah. But and initially we thought um, – initially you thought it would be available. Mm. But then Mont Blanc came back and said, no, it wouldn't be possible. Yeah. So we both went with EFs. We'll talk about that more <laughs> later. But what do you have it inked with? I have it inked with my just generic – the first ink I always ink my new pens with. Um, it's Aurora Black. Standard, run-of-the-mill, perfect black ink. Best ink. Best black oh, ink. Oh, <laughs> the, the, like them be fighting words. <laughs> Best ink. Actually, yeah. uh, well, mm-hmm. my favourite non-pigment um, black ink, definitely. It's my favourite black ink. It might be the best ink. I don't know. That's a toss-up between that and Waterman Serenity slash Florida Blue. But um, it's definitely the ink that I usually test all my new pens with because it's just it, – I know exactly how it performs. It's great on all nib sizes and papers and um, I know if there's anything wrong with it, then it's just down to the nib. It's nothing wrong with the ink at all. So that's what I'm writing with, the Le Petit Prince uh, Burgundy Limited Edition from the Happy Holidays collection. So before we get into our recent acquisitions, I wanted to read an email. Um, We received an email from Lorraine about our journaling issue, which I thought was really sweet. So I thought I'd read that. It's a nice bit of feedback. Um, Lorraine writes, Hi, Sharon and Diana. I just want to say how much I enjoy your podcast in general and the latest issue in particular. Like you, I've been journaling for years since I was in my early 20s, now in my late 50s. I really like your Purge book and I'm going to start one of my own. I have several journals from the past few years, but I don't know what to do with them. From your talk, I think I'm going to do a quick edit of them and just copy down the ideas that are worth it and a few interesting entries and then just get rid of them. The pleasure was all in the act of writing. Like you, I do keep a bullet journal for work, but I tend to toss those after a month or two once they are finished. I also keep a commonplace quote book and film journals just to really process what I thought of them and to find another excuse to use my pens and traveler's notebooks. Thanks for the podcast. Really appreciate it, Lorraine. That was very nice. And I'm glad the purge book idea was useful. Yeah, um, I I really enjoyed doing that episode. um, And I'm glad that so many listeners apparently thought it was helpful and that it struck a note because that was one of our most popular episodes um, in recent months. So thank you, Lorraine. Um, And if you want to leave us a review or any feedback, you can just um, review us on Apple Podcasts or you can email us at thenibsection at gmail.com. Okay, on to the main topic, which is what we have received that we ordered in the last couple of months. Um, Or in Sharon's case, what she has received that she ordered two years ago or two and a half years ago even. (laughs) Why don't we start with your uh, Pilot Decimo collection, Sharon? Yes. So I am very, very excited about this. Um, so two years ago, almost on the dot, we maybe two years ago, around about this time, we released a, um, a we released two episodes, which were Tokyo edition nib sections with uh, myself and Leo Fock. Um, the buy now the decimania edition yeah decimania edition and then buy now regret later yes um two episodes great those were two very fun episodes that were filmed in japan so in those two episodes filmed in japan filmed in japan <laughs> recorded filmed oh no we did do some filming um but recorded in japan and as as part of one of those episodes um i had first 
uh, taken a very sneaky picture and told everyone that there was the um, Pilot Decimo 20 Colour Edition that was coming out. And I was super excited for the 20 Colour Edition because the finish of the Decimo was very unique. It it was um, hairline finish. It felt like a Lamy 2000 in terms of um, how it's finished. It's what now I think retailers are calling the alumite uh, yes. materials. So alu- it's um, aluminium something. Something. <laughs> something. It's something to do with aluminium, but it's hairline finished and it comes in a whole rainbow of colours. And it was being released over the course of about um, 18 months or so in four volumes. And just to um, set the context – In 2018, I think, we were just complaining about how boring Pilot was. Like, Pilot was coming out with nothing interesting for the international market. um, Custom Urushi Red. That was the Uh, only thing it came out with. Yeah, if you could actually get one. Like, you'd have to pre-order and then maybe it takes six months. But at um, at some point, maybe during mid-2019, they actually became – they caught up with the mm. volume of orders and they become readily available, the custom 845s in the Vermilion. But um, at the time that these Alumite um, decimos were announced and um, the, the presentation versions um, started to become available for retailers to inspect, that was after like quite a while of very little new things being presented to us from Pilot. And so the fact that, you know, that they were in this for the long haul, uh, maybe two years or initially I think they were meant to be released over the course of one year. 18 months? Okay, Sharon says 18 months. Uh, The initial plan was to release them over 18 months. But the fact that they had this release schedule in place and 20 decimos lined up, I thought was really quite exciting. Um, And it reminded me of the early days of when the uh, Iroshizuku inks. Yes. um, And how those were also staggered. Yeah. So the thing about these pens was that when you first saw them, um, it was a very different material for a pilot. And it was in a time where everyone was complaining that the Western market got completely gypped of really good pilots. And in particular, there was nothing interesting that was being released for the Western market. And we saw, well, at the time I saw these um, 20 colour editions and they said there was only 20,000 of each colour being made and it was going to be for the Japan market only. And so I jumped in a frenzy and as soon as there was an opportunity to pre-order, I pre-ordered the entire set. I pre-ordered the entire set uh, back in 2019 and the first release was going to be October 2019 with the second being, I think it was April or March 2020, another being um, October or September 2020 and the last being December 2020. So over the course of about 18 months, they were going to release four, uh, four volumes, each comprising five colours. Um, 
So the first time I saw these, I saw all 20 colors put together in one lot. There's a lot. sneaky photo. There's a sneaky photo. We took we took it and we'll reshare it again. Um, you can see the sneaky photo. We will share better photos this time around because the thing that attracted me to this particular collection was just seeing all 20 colors put together because it was beautiful. Like really, if you've got an eye for color, it's like having a whole set of Irishizuku inks lined up and swabbed perfectly swatched perfectly um, it was like that but in pen form so I bit the bullet ordered um, all 20 of them I had the first collection delivered um, the, so the first volume delivered in October November 2019 and then the second volume was due to arrive in March April 2020 but all the postal services went down around uh, about that time thanks to 2020, the year that was, you know, yada, yada, pandemic. Um, and then after that, two more volumes came in. It had my name next to them for pre-order, but again, it was very hard to get uh, postage into Australia, especially out of Japan. And even now, Japan isn't sending anything to Australia via EMS. So I ended up having um, all remaining 15 pens DHL'd to me. All together. All together. Well, one, because DHL is really expensive. Like, it is ridiculously expensive. But very fast. Very fast. And much more reliable than FedEx in yeah. Australia, I find. Very, very fast. Um, so I got all remaining 15 of them uh, last week, which was very exciting because and now I have all the colours of the rainbow and we will share some photos, but I've been playing oh, around. <laughs> I've been playing around with all different colour combinations um, because you can make so many cool gradients, so many good colour stories. Because one of the big things I had against this particular collection was the volumes that they were released in made no sense. They kind of picked five random colours and bundled them together and said, this is volume one. So if you bought the volumes as they came out, you would have been quite disappointed, I think. I think the first volume was quite nice as a set of five, but then the second volume had like no cool colours. Then the third volume had too many dark colours. And then the fourth volume had too many light colours. It just didn't make a lot of sense. And they, there was no story behind the uh, colour volumes of five that they released, which was very unlike Pilot. Because if I think back to when they released Iroshizuku, they did the first set, it was all blues. I mean, for these decimos, had they done these in the colour families, and we'll share a colour family of the blue, green, turquoise um, pens, um, we'll share a photo on our Instagram of it. Had they released it as a set of five in the blue, green, turquoise family and then like the pink, red and like a pink, red and magenta family, if they'd done it in those colour stories, I actually think these pens would have sold better. I don't think these pens are selling that well. Uh, you can tell me if you think this is plausible. My thinking is that if they had released it – well, okay, the way that they release it now, I think it's too – probably ensure that of each collection, everyone would find at least one pen in that collection for that season attractive and want to buy it. Um, but I think the way that you're talking about it, where each drop basically is a cohesive story, I think that encourages people to want to buy the whole set uh, or more people to want to buy the whole set because seeing them together is just so 
um, inspiring and very, very attractive. But I think maybe they were hedging their bets. They were thinking if we drop it slowly with, you know, making each collection or each drop very um, scattered almost in its themes, you're more likely to get, you know, non-collectors to find at least one pen that was attractive to them. But you run into this weird thing then of every single volume, someone would only find one or two of the colours attractive. Well, exactly. But so you would have one or two of these colours completely sell out. Whereas I think had you done it in um, the gradient that I would suggest, people would actually fork out for all five or for three out of the five, four out of the five you know, because it looks so good as a gradient. It looks so, so good as a gradient. Whereas, let me just, we'll post up pictures of what the actual original colour volumes looked like versus what it looks like as a whole set. But the first colour volume was, I thought, the best colour volume, which had the light, the turquoise, the yellow, the brown, the coral and the navy. I actually thought that was a good colour theme. But then the second one just looked wrong. It looked really bad. It was pink, bordeaux, emerald blue and grey. I, I actually really like that set. <laughs> I, I don't like – I didn't like that set at all. And then the third one, I just thought they'd gone off their rocker. It was oh, pink – Oh, but that cham- orange. That pink orange champagne, great. the silver, the orange, the magenta and the grey. So for me, everything but the, the pink in that set works. I think those four colours work together. The grey, the dark grey, the, the magenta and the orange. I think that's a great colour set. And then the last colour set <laughs> maybe they I'm did just, maybe was... Maybe I'm just more random than you are. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like the colour stories. The last colour set that they did was red, uh, purple, champagne, green and black. Again, the actual colour stories in the way that they released them, to me it wasn't as attractive as seeing them as a full set, which is what I've got now, and I've rearranged them into kind of your muted your muted and your very colourful spectrums. Um, it's very satisfying to look at, very, very satisfying to look look at. I will ink most of them at some point, um, but given you have a pen that has a particular body colour, you want to match the ink to the body colour. I haven't yet found the perfect ink for every single pen yet. <laughs> It'll take me a while. <laughs> what, I, what I find really interesting about this... 20 volume Illuminate Decimo set is how they've gone like from doing very little for the international market in this space to suddenly like going overboard (laughs) because you've hit the nail on the head you know like not every color is going to sell as well as every other and yet I don't think they made um, each individual pen in different numbers I think they're probably well. We were told that it was twenty thousand of each color, and we were told originally it was Japan market only. So I think it's very interesting that these have now gone all international. I don't know if the Japan market was saturated and these were too boring for the Japan market, or Pilot saw an opportunity to go international with these. But I can. It's s- a lot of decimos. It is a lot of decimos. It's a very big commitment, and compared to a regular decimo, these are more expensive. Um, they're probably a third more expensive than regular decimos. Um, I think the make of them is excellent and I think the make of them um, are slightly better than the regular decimos. Uh, They're unique enough. Now, if I were just an odd collector, would I just buy one of these? 
maybe. I'd buy the light blue. It's my favorite color. The turquoise, oh, so good. Um, I think that's the best color, guys. If And if you can get it, it's the light blue from the first volume. Best color. Um, I might have bought maybe one or two of these, but when you see them all together, that's kind of – it's at that point in time that you want to buy all of them. I really like the magenta and the orange, like these two together. Uh, the coral. So Sorry, the coral the and coral the, from the coral volume and one the orange. The orange from yeah. volume three, I think. I think those two look really good together. Um, no, I mean, I think from completely rational – like a business perspective, this doesn't make a lot of sense that I can see. Um, like dumping this many decimos on both the Japan and the international market. So for me, it's 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 almost whimsical the fact that this yeah. dropped um, within such a short space of time. You know, if it's twenty thousand of each color, how much is that? Two hundred twenty? No, more than that. Four hundred forty thousand decimos in all these different colors being dropped on the global market um, within the space of like two years. That's that's a lot of decimos. So that's probably why these are still available. You can still get most of the colors. Yeah. If you were doing this, I mean, wouldn't you want to maybe release them one at a time um, over the space of a longer period? No. <laughs> yeah, but, no, I do them in like a vo- well, I do them in like a volume of four, maybe a volume of four at a time, and I do them over the course of like seasons, do do the pilot, tried and tested seasonal releases. You know, you have all of your um, burgundy, Bordeaux, like autumnal colours in autumn. You release all of the, you know, the greys and the blacks, all of those as a winter set. You have your pinks as a... Um, you have your pinks as a summer set or as a spring set and then you have your blues as a summer set. You know how the regular, the larger size vanishing points, they come out with limited edition every year. Do you remember how many of those they make typically um, in each version? Yes, they make the number. It's less than 10,000. Absolutely. It's the number of the year. So for this year, it'll be 2021. Exactly. It's nowhere near the number that you're talking about for this. Absolutely not. So... This is what I mean. Like, it doesn't seem to make any sense unless, you know, by 22,000, they're talking about uh, 22,200. No, wait, 1,100. God, my arithmetic is really bad. 1,100 of each color. So 22,000 divided by 10. By 20. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Take a drink. Let's redo that bit. Eleven hundred of each yep. color, right? Yep. If it's, the twenty-two thousand is for the entire collection, yeah. But uh, like, I think that's more plausible than twenty-two thousand. But of ha- each having color. said that, they they would have invested a fair bit in getting the material and getting the production method down pat. So I I wouldn't see them only doing a limited run of eleven hundred per color because there would have had to be a fair bit of R and D to get the actual textured finish and to get such a vibrant colour in the actual textured finishes. I mean, do you think this is something that they initially planned to release for the 100-year anniversary and then just kind of (laughs) didn't happen in time? No. I think it was just something that they – like the Decimo range itself is not particularly – the regular Decimo range is not particularly interesting and it's not got a lot of – 
uh, variation to it. They're all very light and pastel um, or very dark and um, business-like. They're not interesting colours, absolutely not interesting colours, whereas this is next-level interesting colours. There are some really, really cool colours in here. Yeah, but that equally, I think, makes me think that they should be in it for the long haul. Um, and not just dropped suddenly so that retailers will be struggling to offload it for the next couple of years and then they end up having to sell them on sale. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I think they are selling them on sale at the moment because it was just too many decimos at once. I think had they spaced out the releases, maybe like five every six months, for every six months, um, or even five like every – eight months or something like that, it would have gone down a little bit better. There would have been more of an anticipation to complete the collection. Which is why, like, there's there's something a little bit random about this whole thing. There's nothing random if you see them (laughs) stacked up all together. I mean, gosh, they're beautiful. No, like, the the strategy behind this whole release just feels very... um, like I said, whimsical, like they didn't really care whether or not they made very much money out of this and they're more um, dropping all these colours to see what sells, maybe. You do you, Pilot. Please make more decimos. <laughs> make cool coloured ones um, because I I love a good decimo. I think they're the, they're the perfect pen because they are great in my hand, excellent weight, so many cool colours. If, if I had to pick a few for to recommend to people, so best colour is light blue. If you can still get it, that is the one to get. Light blue. The turquoise. Volume, volume one. The official name is light blue. Okay. But it looks like It's turquoise. turquoise. It is a blindingly bright uh, blue, like a turquoise blue. So nice. It reminds me of uh, Waterman South Seas blue or actually Mont Blanc Unicef blue, Lamy turquoise, all those great colours that you know everyone knows is completely up my alley, that – that's the colour of the actual pen. It's so bright. Pictures cannot capture how bright it is. It's such a nice pen. So that's my first pick. My second pick is the yellow, which was also from the first release because it's such a bizarre colour. It I've never seen a pen this colour before. It's a greenish yellow. It's very chartreuse. It's so bright as well and it looks slightly, very not me. Oh, it, it's slightly pukish green yellow to me like it's a very unappetizing color do you do you know what color ink that matches with Marazen lemon it's a perfect match <laughs> i hate the i hate the, you hate the ink so I hate why the ink do you color. love the, the pen so much i don't know the pen color is so ugly that's great love it it's so unique so ugly it comes all around yeah, yeah, yeah. it's so <laughs> great it's so so beautiful. so great so then the other one that i really quite like is the Pink champagne, pink champagne. So if you have the pink champagne from the regular range, this is basically the exact same colour, only matte. And the textured finish looks really, really nice. Um, Those are my top three picks if I had to pick three. Dai has top three picks as well. Um, My top three is like the dark grey, which I think is like a sort of a gunmetal grey, is really nice. It's also the same matte colour as the regular grey. So the regular grey that they do in the regular ah, range, this is just a exact, it's just a matte version, just a matte of, version of it, okay. which is very nice. I also like the the really really um, deep blue black. Um, it's the navy color. What they call the navy, mm-hmm. and I like the coral. 
which was volume one. My one of my favorites from volume one as well. I don't know why it's called coral. It looks like like a rose pink to me. Um, it's more pink than coral. And I also really like the orange. It's a nice orange. That's four picks. Oh my gosh. Do I get one more? <laughs> sure, you get one more. <laughs> um, I too like the greys, although I like the slightly lighter grey as well. Slightly silvery. So if all of all twenty of these they came in the larger size, I would totally get <laughs> the set. You do I, you. I just don't like the decimos. <laughs> I if it came in the VPs, if this entire set actually came in the VPs, I would not have gotten them. I like a good vanishing point. I don't like them enough to just get one of every single color that's available. So I've not been an avid collector of vanishing point limited editions back when they did all of the unique colors um i've i've not collected every single limited edition vanishing point because as a whole i don't use them as much and they don't appeal to me as men i mean i don't think i would collect them uh individually if they were released over like 20 years but if they were released in the space of like two years i would totally buy all 20 because it'd be so easy to acquire them (laughs) Like, so little effort compared to waiting for that And that long. was my downfall with these. <laughs> On to the Mont Blanc Le Petit Prince Happy Holidays Solitaire Edition pen. Um, I've been writing with this for the last four or five days since it arrived. There was initially some consternation as to whether or not these pens would clear customs and be delivered before the Easter long weekend. But I told Sharon, despite the estimated uh, time of arrival, DHL always under-promises and over-delivers. So they were delivered like all of three, Wednesday? two, three days ahead of the long weekend. Um, yeah. Well in time. Because the actual um, estimated delivery date was was after Easter, yes. So um, thank you, Yust, for um, packing them so nicely and they cleared customs with very little issue. Thank you, uh, Yust, very, for very organising this as <laughs> I know. well for uh, us. Thank you. For, sorry for being such a bother over email. <laughs> this is our first time um, ordering something like this. Um, from Apple Boom. From the Netherlands, yeah. yeah. But we do have to give a shout-out to Apple Boom. We paid for these. So not sponsored or anything. But oh no, we paid for these. They were very, very accommodating in um, picking out the well order, special ordering the pens that we wanted because we know that this was a very hot edition, um, which has sold out. I think worldwide, um, and especially in the extra fine nib size, that was very hard to come by. So we both got the extra fine nib, and I've been writing with it. It's like, you know, your regular Mont Blanc, extra fine. It's nice. It's not as fine as like a Japanese extra fine, but very wet, very precise. It feels really, really nice. Um, it's not as much of an architect sort of a cut as I've had on previous Mont Blanc extra fines, but, you know, perfectly nice nib, very nicely tuned out of the box. Uh, the pen itself is it's beautiful. Um, it's got rose gold trim. It's got a gem on the nib. It's a lovely burgundy color. So that sort of historical Mont Blanc burgundy resin. It looks slightly more purplish than the older 146Rs. So the older burgundy resins. This one looks a little bit more purplish. I think it would be a perfect match for the Le Petit Prince uh, rose burgundy ink. 
I should probably ink that. Um, I should probably ink the pen with that color next once I've cleared um, Aurora Black out of it. But I think that'd be a really good match. It's got that sort of a muted burgundy color. And um, the gem, I I need to have a conversation with Annabelle, I think, about how this is set. So if you look at it sideways, it's slightly raised off the surface of the nib, like the bevel. Um, bezel? The bevel? I think it's called the bezel. Is completely surrounds the gem, so this ring of metal around the ruby, and it's kind of raised off the surface of the nib, which is very interesting. I don't, I haven't found that it affects the flow of the nib in any way. Um, so like no special powers? No special powers. <laughs> it's just a little bit distracting when I write with it. I think, oh, there's something on my nib. <laughs> And, and let not, me just wipe it off. <laughs> it's, it's not a. It's not like an ink splotch. <laughs> Although I do have an ink splotch on my nib right now. It's really distracting. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I know you don't like that. So the nib doesn't have superpowers. I don't know what to say about it. It's a beautiful pen. It's got a ruby on it. It's got like the Le Petit Prince engraving, um, illustrated engraving on the nib as well. I do find so my issue with the solitaires in general is that they're a little bit back heavy. Um, for my hand, it's okay if I write with it for like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, but for long writing sessions, my hand does start to tire a little bit. So um, the regular resin 146 is still the most comfortable size of Mont Blanc for my hand, but this is really nice um, for short periods. And so it's also worthwhile noting that the actual trim on this particular pen is rose gold. So it's rose gold... Um, uh, piston knob, uh, rose gold, rose gold nib. Um, it, it's a very, very attractive pen, and I can't wait to put this side by side with the regular one four six, the older one four six burgundy resin, because I'm pretty sure this is slightly darker and a bit more purplish. Um, we'll, we'll pull some, we'll put some photos on the Instagram and Facebook so- comparing the two. We don't know in what quantity these um, were produced. Yeah, in, do we? so they were. We don't, but they were just done as a, a Christmas special edition. So I will say these come in massive boxes, and they also come with an adorable Montblanc notebook and a bottle of ink. I haven't opened the bottle of ink yet, but I think it's like red or pink, like a dark pink, which is why I thought this was like a Valentine's Day edition. <laughs> that would have made more sense to me than holidays because they weren't really released in time for the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm curious to see what you think of them once you've had it go. I've only just gotten mine. I haven't played around with it yet, so I will do so. Mm-hmm. I, think it'd be, I think it'd make a really nice pair with the, the blue solitaire from the Le Petit Prince. Which version. I didn't get. And I'm I so thought you had sad. that one. Oh, no, no, I didn't get it. I missed out. I... So Australia didn't get many of the blue holiday edition uh, Petit Prince. And I'm super bummed about that because that was a blue and gold trim. It was a bit, um, not gaudy, but a bit old fashioned in terms of the combination because it was gold trim rather than silver trim. And um, there was nothing really special about the pen. It was like a solid um, blue resin. That was cool. Uh, the nib was two-tone. Uh, the only reason why I wanted that pen was because the nib was two-tone and it was the previous year's holiday edition. 
I missed out on that one because Australia only ever got, I think, like less than a handful of those pens. And again, we got the medium nibs only, which is a real bummer for um, people here. Like it's a real, real bummer. Uh, To get a nib swap done in Australia takes forever. You buy a pen and you don't see it for three months because it takes three months to do a nib swap. Um, so I'm bummed that I missed out on the blue, but the blue didn't have a sapphire on the nib. So, you know, you win some, you lose some. Next up, Sharon also ordered a bunch of Musubi notebooks. I think she hinted at that a couple of episodes ago. Yes. So um, was this because you were looking for a Tomoe River alternative? Was that what prompted this? So a couple of months ago, I was doing a stock take of notebooks and I was going through a first world fountain pen lover problem, uh, which was that my favorite notebook of choice for work, which was the Life Kapan, was no longer being sold in Australia and to import it from overseas was just going to cost ridiculous amounts of money. So I was looking for alternatives. And I wanted to go with something that um, would be pleasant to write with. And I had a whole list of criteria. So I was looking to move to a Tomoe River notebook. Um, I had some doubts about actually moving to the old Tomoe River notebook um, paper because the drying time on that is just stupid. Like, I hate the drying time on it. I don't like carrying around blotting paper, although I do in all my Tomoe River notebooks. So I went and uh, I tried to source new Tomoe River paper. And I got a couple of notebooks um, in the new Tomoe River uh, paper. And I think I shared uh, one of the Desk Bandit. The thin ones, right? Yeah. So I, I shared one of the Desk Bandit 68 GSM the thicker Tomoe River, and I also got some of the new Tomoe River 52 GSM. Uh, So personally, I hate the 52 GSM new Tomoe River paper. There is something about it that doesn't agree with me. Um, I think on on paper, (laughs) on paper, it has everything that I wanted, in that it's much faster drying, there's much less ghosting, the paper doesn't feel as flimsy, but the writing experience on top of it is not as smooth. And there's something about the drag of a pen on the new Tomoe River paper that doesn't quite sit right with me, which is really bizarre because I really like Midori. And Midori is famous for having super high amounts of drag and feedback. But there's something about this Tomoe River paper that when you write on it, it's it's almost a nails on chalkboard situation for me where there's something about it that doesn't quite sit right. It's not a pleasant drag. It's not a pleasant type of texture from uh, for my personal use. Um, it does, I will say, it does work better with uh, broader nibs, but with a finer nib, it's, it's just no good. And comparing... The, that untreated 52 GSM Tomoe River with the Hobonichi 52 GSM. It's miles apart. The, yeah. f- the Hobonichi is so coated mm. that... So it's been, ex- it's been it's additionally treated. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it's a, almost a completely different paper. Um, it's really interesting because I do use a Hobonichi this year. The Hobonichi 52 GSM Tomoe River uh, works pretty good. Not uh, different to the old Tomoe River, but still pretty good. 
So then I went on a hunt to find all sorts of different notebooks. And in about March, that's a mid-March, um, Masubi sent out um, a newsletter announcement saying that they had new products in stock, including the Cosmo Air Light and paginated and lined folio notebooks. So listeners of the pod will know that I was once very, very critical about Masubi. <laughs> I, I think I came off as um, a complete hater uh, in the previous episode. I'm going to retract certain statements that I made at the time, which was, oh, my God, they're so expensive. Yes. Oh, my but God. But this was before you actually used one. Yes, because I had a hard time swallowing the, <laughs> like, the price I remember tag. Because the first time that we broached Masubi on this podcast was when I ordered a few, and I was talking about how um, there was like certain inconsistencies in the production because they were like handmade, um, and they like they don't go to the the effort. Like it's not part of their process to um, completely erase or inconsistencies and all um, like individuality from each batch of paper um, or each like fabric. Yeah. So. Um, and you and Chuck were both <laughs> enamored. Chuck, Chuck said. Chuck more so than me. Oh, Chuck, Chuck said, if I, you know, if I could have a whole bookshelf of notebooks, it would be Masubi. If I could afford it, that would, that would be what I would have. Well, if, if they were free, I totally would have a whole bookshelf. <laughs> and for me, uh, for me, they're bound notebooks. I now own a fair few of the bound ones. So I, do I. I coughed up for every single time they had a special edition vintage kimono one i think i may have tried look to get look one. i mean if you've bought a smithson's leather coated notebook the masubi <laughs> notebooks look dead cheap <laughs> in comparison so i like the last time we did an episode on masubi i was not um let's just say on a scale of zero to a hundred percent where a hundred percent was i would die for this brand i was maybe at about a 40 or 50 percent right i i was not a convert uh, I am happy to eat humble pie, just feed it feed it my way, because one of the things I said at the time was that they didn't have a good um, price, uh, they didn't have a good range for all price points. Everything started at a very high price point, it was a very premium product, and it wasn't very accessible. Their new folio range, which they've had now for about a year, they've had the um, just plain notebooks and I think they call them their Tomo system folio notebooks. Um, they've had them for about a year. They're very much like the seven C's, Nanami seven C's notebooks. Um, similar number of pages, I think. Yep, so similar number of pages. So. Uh, so the Nanami is slightly thicker. Um, yeah. They've got slightly more pages, but I will say the finishing on the Misubi ones are way better than the Nanami. I own I own Nanami as well, and I compared the two, so the Nanami notebooks and the um, Misubi notebooks. The finishing on the Misubi notebooks is superior. Oh, like, okay, absolutely um, I'm superior. On the folio page now. The Tomoe River Fifty Two um, has. 384 pages. So yeah. from memory, the seven C's, I think, has 440. 440 480? Because recently there was someone on there was someone on Fountain Oceania who posted um, asking for an alternative to the Nami 7 Zs uh, with a similar number of pages, so 400 or more. Mm. And the closest I found was the Musubi Tomoe River 52 folio 
in the uh, A5 size because that has almost 400 pages. And most notebooks now that are made of the Tomoe River 52, they have less than 200 pages. So two, 480 pages in the Nanami, Nanami paper. Seven C's, yeah. Seven C's. So I, um, like I said, I own a couple of the Nanami Seven C's. They're very heavy. They're very well-made notebooks. Um, I like the fact that the Nanami Seven C's comes in a slip case with a sheet of blotting paper. I think it's a very nice touch. The Masubi folio notebooks come at a really good price point. I will say that. And everything that that I said previously about how it doesn't offer something for every single price point, I take it all back. These folio notebooks, great price, like really, really good price. And now they come in blank lined cross grid and yep. cross grid paginated. Because so. they used to only the come in blank, blank and yeah. cross grid. Mm-hmm. Um, so these particular notebooks, um, the Masubi ones come very no frills they come just as a notebook they don't have any um slip case there's no blotting paper in it um it doesn't come in the nice cases that they're bound there it has a really nice gray linen cover though uh so there are different color different covers for the different paper types very easy to distinguish so i went in and i made a fairly sizable order um how much did you pay in shipping (laughs) I paid an absolute <laughs> bomb in shipping, right? So putting all that aside, I paid, uh, to give you guys an idea, I paid about $150 or $160 in shipping. It did come DHL. It did come within like three days, but it was a it was ridiculous in terms of shipping price. But to put it in perspective, if you're just buying the one notebook, shipping is like five bucks, five bucks on top of the actual cost of the notebook. So the actual notebook itself – I bought it because I got the newsletter that they were coming out with a Cosmo Airlight. And I've not tried Cosmo Airlight paper before. Oh, my God. All the buzz about the Cosmo Airlight recently. <laughs> like everyone's been talking about it. And people were talking about it quite a while ago as well. Um, when the first um, uh, buzzings, like the first murmurs of discontent came out regarding the change to the new Tomoe River paper. Um, everyone was talking about... Cosmo Air Light, and I hadn't tried it. I have now tried it um, in the Masubi notebooks. So one, I think the price on the Cosmo Air Light Tomo uh, folio notebooks is exceptional. Very, very good pricing. Cheaper than the Tomoe River. Um, the page, it's got 300 and something pages in it. So, so the Cosmo really- Air Light is 83 GSM. And in the folio, the A5 notebook, it's got 208 pages. I lied. I thought it was 300. Yeah, that's Sorry. much thicker than Tomoe River. Yes. Uh but it is also $35 Singapore dollars compared to the Tomoe River notebooks, which are 50 or 55 50 I think. And hopefully the Cosmo Air Light is not a scarce resource because we know that the original Tomoe River 52 is um, on its way out. <laughs> it's on its way out. Yeah, so the Cosmo Air Light, if you've not tried it before, it's definitely worth a try. It's not going to be for everyone. I don't think it will be as uniformly loved as the old Tomoe River. That is my firm belief because the old Tomoe River notebook, uh, sorry, the old Tomoe River paper had a charming quality in that it was crinkly. You could get so many pages in a relatively thin notebook. The Cosmo Airlight's quite a thick paper um, and it 
behave very differently to Tomoe River. So there are certain characteristics about the Cosmo Airlight that I absolutely love. So I love the fact that when you write on Cosmo Airlight, any blemish you have on any of your nibs just disappears. So you could write with a an extra feedbacky nib, or you could write with a nib that normally doesn't work on any paper because it's so scratchy to use. And as soon as you put it on Cosmo Airlight, it kind of it makes the faults of your nib go away. It's a really odd feeling in that I wrote on it with a Nakaya nib that was frankly awful, right? Go see one of our episodes on Nakaya QC to hear about the fact that it's not all good news. Um, so I, I had a, a Nakaya fine nib that's just unpleasant to use, which means I never use it. And so I put it to the test on all different types of paper. And on the Cosmo Air Light, it was really nice to use. So bizarrely, even with such a scratchy nib, the Cosmo Air Light kind of smoothed out a lot of the faults. Um, so it's like a cushiony feel almost, but there's it's not um, – it doesn't make your pen sink into it. Also, nibs have a tendency to just double in – nib sizes just double in size – on the actual paper. It doesn't bleed. It just seems like the ink pools in a contained area so that if you're writing with a fine nib, it looks like you're writing with a medium or even a broad nib and inks show really, really well. So I love all those features about the Cosmo Airlight. Things I hate about it. Okay, what do you hate about it? Things I hate about it. I hate the nib size doubling, right? Like that is an absolute no-go for me. If I'm writing with an extra fine nib, it's because my handwriting's small and I want to be able to read my handwriting. On the Cosmo Air Light, it just looks blobby. It looks blobby because the nib uh, size doubles on the paper and that's kind of inevitable. And plus the dry time is really bad across most of the inks I've tried. Now, uh, Daryl from Masubi has said that dry times of various inks um, does, there's a huge variance uh, of them across um, Cosmo Air Light. So it's not consistent in that all inks have bad dry times. And that's true. So I found that some of the Edelstein inks dry faster, but a lot of the Japanese inks take a million years to dry and that's not even exaggeration it just takes a really really long time to dry um, but overall if you are in the mood for meditative writing I think it is a good notebook for meditative writing I don't think it's a good artist notebook if you're into that because of the uh, line width variation on the actual pen but I think it's very good if you have misbehaving pen misbehaving nibs that you want to give some love to and you want to write in a way that is unrushed and more for the pleasure of writing it kind of sounds like what the paper does to a nib is almost like airbrushes it you know yes like erases the imperfections yes like it's the diffuse out some it's details. the yeah, feature exactly. yeah so if if you really want a true to life <laughs> or whatever that means in terms of pens representation of how the nib works probably this is not the way to go but yeah. my question to Sharon is so is this going to replace Tomoe River as your like everyday no yeah absolutely not I would use this paper and uh, the Musubi notebooks more as 
probably like a commonplace journal um, or a collection of uh, quotes, things that I want to – a keepsake journal to um, – yeah, something more like a keepsake journal because I think you write on this paper for the love of writing and for the feel and the enjoyment of writing, not so much because it's a functional notebook. But I will say the folio notebooks themselves from Musubi are absolutely worth it. They are so well made. I can't emphasize how well they are made. The quality on these notebooks for the price is like out of this world. Um, I don't know how they do the binding, but it's so consistent. It's so very, very consistent. And it's all the small little details um, such as there are different markers for um, a halfway, uh, the halfway point. So there's a marker for the middle of the notebook. There's a mar- marker for um, midway through, like all those things in the um, on the actual page. So the page, if you get the cross grid ones, there's a little triangle uh, at the halfway point. So it's so like all those little details make this notebook something very, very different, something quite special. Uh, I think the like make quality of it is just unbelievably good. I have had issues in the past with Nanami. So I have actually gotten Nanami's replaced because the binding has come apart and I have not seen that yet with a Musubi. Um, the issue that I had with a Nanami, actually, it was fresh out of the box there was a the uh, the binding coming off was coming uh, coming off uh all the musubis that i have bought look fantastic the make quality of it is just i can't emphasize that enough it looks like a premium product it feels like a premium product it is a real pleasure to use and it's so uniform and if you like that if you've got that little bit of ocd in you where you want everything to be consistent this is just it i think what i'm really impressed about with musubi is how responsive they are to feedback so if you remember my initial um, review i i think my main complaint if you can even call it that was that there was probably an insufficient setup or um, explanation um, when you're purchasing the product as to what you're going to expect to receive like the fact that it was really handmade that it came with this story um, about the artisans who made it and the um, women in crisis that it helps to um so provide um, jobs for um, all of that and the fact that it was like a very low waste uh, production process that wasn't really conveyed um, in the packaging or um, in the you know the the product itself when you buy it so my if I think back to my initial review I think my complaint was that if I was going to gift this to someone I wouldn't feel comfortable with giving them something that had the risk of having these imperfections that they probably wouldn't understand was part of the charm of the product itself. And um, if I'm going to, you know, give them something that was so beautifully packaged and that presented so wonderfully, I wouldn't want them to be able to like find these, you know, like nitpick these little things, which um, I think if you understand the story of the product itself would be part of its wabi-sabi you know, the, the charm of those imperfections. And um, I think Daryl was quite 
um, he took that on board. And now I think each notebook, they come with these explainers yep. about um, who produces it and how it's produced. It's a little bookmark yeah, exactly. that comes in the package now. Yes. And um, the fact that he also expanded the range and um, they make more accommodating and very um, affordable products that serve different needs, you know, that you don't have to buy their hand-bound, the hard-bound notebooks. You can buy notebooks to fit with the covers that you already use. Um, all of those things make it a really exciting brand to follow and, um, and Daryl a really charming person, <laughs> I think, to communicate with. Yeah, so I um, posted my initial thoughts about the notebook and the paper on Fountain Pen's Oceania I think last week and uh, Daryl was the first one to pipe in and say, Hey, I know you've got an issue with the um, dry time on the Cosmo air light paper. Uh, try out different inks because there's a huge variance and uh, it's not going to be as consistent as other papers, but hopefully you'll find inks that work for you because that, that for me, I said was an absolute deal breaker. Uh, for an everyday notebook but it was very good of him to actually just uh, chime in and say this is what we've experienced through our testing so uh, it was very insightful I I really appreciated that I have so I ordered about 10 Cosmo Air Lights because they're all in different like pagination and ruling styles or you just wanted Uh, 10? (laughs) I ordered 10 I think I ordered five of the cross grid and five of the lined Uh, I think I only have two or three left um, because I've been gifting these I've been gifting them left right and center Um, I have had can you uh, spare me a sheet so I can test the nymphs? Um, I'm, I might have to place a second order at some point, but I've been um, gifting them because people have been – I've been converting people subtly to fountain pens and, you know, the joys of writing and someone – Doing rec- the good work. Doing, doing the good work indeed. And someone recently asked me for um, a paper recommendation and I gave them a – I gave them one of these notebooks. So I've been giving out these notebooks recently and everyone who has used them so far has commented that this is the nicest notebook that they've ever seen. It's so simple, but it's so well made um, that it's a real pleasure to write on. Um, Moving on from the Cosmo Air Light, really cool name, by the way, like very easy to remember. Cal. (laughs) Cal. Did you get anything that was made in the bank paper from Musubi? I did. I did. I got uh, I got the bank cross grid. Um, and what did you think of this paper? It was interesting. So I, I did a big comparison of like about, I think, 10 or 11 different types of paper last week. Um, and the bank paper was very interesting in that it made nibs probably run true to size or a little bit finer. So it didn't have the same impact that Tomoe River or uh, Cosmo Air Light had where the nibs run broader. Um, So it ran very much true to size. The most interesting part about bank paper was that the ink that I used, which was Bungu Box Norwegian Wood, um, showed up as almost a bright green ink. So it kind of 
demonstrated to me that it was a very fast drying paper. So ink dried quite fast on it and also dried quite light. So ink didn't have a tendency to pool on that particular paper. Um, It was quite textured. It was quite textured. I didn't mind it. I know you're not a big fan of it. Spoiler alert. I made my order in late 2019, just um, for some context, if maybe we got different batches. But um, I only got around to trying this notebook recently. And the first time I, I tried it, it was with the fine nibs in the pelicans that you lent me. And um, I found that quite unpleasant, to be honest, because the pelican, um, one of them was inked with Graphon Faber-Castell. I, um, ink, I ink my pelicans with dry inks. So, yes. Sorry, the nib isn't dry, but the ink that it was. Yes, um, I, ink, I ink my pelicans with in. dry inks. Yes, it was yeah. the Graphon Faber-Castell Violet Blue, which is like quite dry. And in this notebook, it felt dry. Um, the, the combination of the nib and the ink on this paper, it. It felt coarse almost um, and it was not very pleasant to write with. Like I like a bit of tooth on my papers or on my nibs, but this was extremely coarse, almost sandpaper-ish. Um, I gave it another go this morning with a bunch of other nibs, wider nibs, including the Mont Blanc EF um, on the That's not holiday. a wider nib. <laughs> um, well uh, – other wider nibs, so uh, like a bunch of like super broad, like stacked nibs, and even those nibs they like feel slightly drier, um, and the inks look drier on the page. Like you said, they don't tend to produce that pooling effect, and they don't really sheen very much at all. That's true. They don't sheen. They inks show up lighter on this. Um, it doesn't show as much shading from uh, my experience, and. As a whole, the inks are actually more vibrant, so they're brighter, brighter slash lighter. Maybe lighter is the correct word for it. I think it makes inks look a little bit washed out, to be honest. Maybe it's because the ink I was using was quite dark. It didn't make it look washed out. Definitely brought out more of the green in Norwegian wood than um, the darker, uh, the darker black elements to it. Yeah. So on second attempt, uh, it wasn't as scratchy like unpleasant to write with but I still didn't really like the effect of the inks on this paper like I don't think it shows inks to their best advantage and if you like writing with slightly finer nibs it's just not that pleasant Um, and I think you need a really well-tuned nib to not feel like you're going on on sandpaper Um, on very very well-tuned nibs like my Nakaya soft nibs it's it, it works okay. Um, like the texture wasn't wasn't too unpleasant, but otherwise uh, it's just really not for me. I, I don't think it's really that suitable for that many uh, fountain pen nibs. I wouldn't say that the bank paper was my favourite. Um, there's something about it which is it's not quite textured enough and not quite smooth enough. Uh, I really quite like textured papers. Um, I am guilty of liking very, very textured papers, so I really quite like laid paper. Um, I, I really like uh, Midori MD. My, everyone knows I like Midori MD. That is an extremely textured paper. Um, 
and I, I really get a lot of joy out of writing on those papers. But I think the difference between Bank and the Midori MD paper is that the Midori MD paper, despite it being very textured, is also very good with inks in that it shows a lot of characteristics of inks and it is a pleasant texture, whereas the Bank is a bit of a hit and miss type of texture. Takes a bit of getting used to. Um, moving along, um, I showed Sharon my Nakaya, which arrived about a month ago. So I already mentioned this in the <laughs> I mentioned this in the episode uh, where I interviewed Max um, about her collection. It's the Piccolo in the Shake Shonsetsu. Shake Shonsetsu. I don't know how exactly you say it, um, but it's I don't. It's very hard pen to describe. It's black but with this illustration over it of a window and books and like falling leaves um it's very poetic um and it's got really really striking raden and urushi work something that in a style and in a technique that i've never seen even on nakaya pens so sharon and i we were just wondering like we were pondering how exactly they achieved this like this sort of translucency with raden where it looks like slivers of abalone shell were like layered on top of coloured urushi so that it was translucent raden over urushi. And I just think that's a, such a unique technique. Um, I've never seen it before. This is really beautiful. So this particular pen arrived recently. Uh, it's my second piccolo in my collection. And I don't think it'll be the last. I think I stayed away from piccolos for quite a while because I didn't find that many interesting designs available in it. <laughs> but now that um, I've, I've realized that you can just buy from Nagasawa directly, that they will take my orders over Instagram, I think this could be quite dangerous. <laughs> so I put in an order for a piccolo recently. I've been told the wait time is circa 12 to 18 months, so <laughs> it may be a while before we can talk about my order. But I will say your pen is something quite special. So I had my eye on this one when it came up on the Nagasawa Instagram as well. I think I first pointed this one out to you, and I didn't realise that the bottom – uh, Raden feature was so interesting. It's a combination of semi-translucent Raden, Makie on top of the Raden, Makie underneath the Raden. I don't know how they've done it. I don't know how they do it. And what's so amazing is that when you f like run your finger over it, it just looks, it feels seamless. It's so smooth. So like the craftsmanship is amazing. It's beautiful. And what nib did you get on that one? So I took to heart your advice, like when buying Nakayas now, I'm just going to go for music or soft nibs. Like what's the point of getting any other nibs? They're my favorite nibs. So um, I, it took a little bit longer to get the soft nibs swapped out, uh, the soft nibs swapped in, but totally worth it. So this pen has soft medium, which is one of my favorite Nakaya nibs. I like the soft medium nib from Nakaya. Um, I have one dud soft medium nib. Like an actual dud. It 
is very unpleasant to write with. I will probably take a take some micro mesh to it at some point because it is so uncomfortable to write with that I've just not inked the pen. Um, but having said all of that, so I have a Nakaya fine nib, which I absolutely adore. There's something about that fine nib where it's just very, very smooth, very, very, very stiff, very, very stiff, but so pleasant to use. Okay. Um, going back to your pelicans, Sharon, I know that you added some pelicans to your very sizable yeah. pelican collection. Yes. Why I, didn't these arrive in time for our pelican podcast? Well, episode? actually, I only started looking at them after our pelican episode. So after our pelican episode, I was reinvigorated by the love of pelicans that I went online and Googled pelican pe- fountain pens. And um, so I found two things. One, that um, – so I found that the Pelican M600 Vibrant Orange, which I think was a special edition from two years ago, uh, was it could be found for very cheap online. And I don't own an orange pen. I never got a Dolce Vita. So, and I don't own an orange pen in this particular color. It is different to the orange that I have in the Decimo. Um, and the resin is quite interesting. Uh, plus, I managed to get this one at a very good price. Um, so I kind of caved and got the Vibrant Orange. At the same time I was looking at this, I ummed and ahed about uh, buying a Pelican fountain pen off Amazon. So my review of that is I wouldn't do it again. I didn't. So the Vibrant Orange I got from a proper retailer from overseas. Can't remember which one, but if I if I recall, I'll put it in the show notes. But um, I ended up getting this one from a European retailer, um, like a third party retailer on Amazon. No, no, I just got oh, it straight okay. from a right. retailer. So it came proper in a Pelican box and everything. I ummed and ahed about the Pelican Blue Dunes pen because I saw it on Amazon for a very very good price. The Blue Dunes, like the pregnant Pelican. No, 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 no. That's the you're thinking of the Niagara Falls. <laughs> oh, okay. No, Blue right. Dunes was an M800, and I don't like M800s as a whole. But the price on this one was too good to say no to. I said no to it for four weeks, and then when I went back, like a week or two ago, it was still on on there for such a good price. So I clicked the button and I bought it off Amazon. So to put it in perspective, an M800 in Australia uh, usually runs you about, what, $700 Aussie. Um, a special edition would run you a little bit more than that. On Amazon, this particular one cost $550. And there is a good reason for that because – it came without a box. It came in a paper tube. <laughs> it came in an envelope, actually. It was really interesting because I got the notification that something had been delivered and there was nothing in my parcel room. So I thought, oh, that's weird. I'm going to put in a complaint because my nicely boxed pelican didn't arrive. And then I checked my letterbox two days later and an envelope was there with a pelican in it and it literally comes in a card like the flimsiest of flimsy cardboard boxes but it's a pelican branded cardboard box sharon like (laughs) you wouldn't ship like you did you wouldn't ship a twisby in this let alone a pelican it is just a plain cardboard box um a very thin cardboard box that fit a very 
expensive pen in it. So overall, my assessment of buying a cheap Pelican on Amazon, don't do it unless you're willing to run the risk because I can imagine this went through all sorts of letter processing um, where they put the letters Mm -hmm. through rollers and a lot of other processing stuff and you could very easily come it could very easily be delivered to you in three pieces. Uh, so, yes, uh, there's a reason why it's so cheap, I guess. Um, just don't expect to get a nice box. In comparison, my M600 Vibrant Orange. The one you got from, from like a, a proper, legitimate retailer. From a legitimate retailer. I've been told the Amazon one is legit, but hey, <laughs> believe what you will. It came from Amazon. I don't know which one, but one of the actual Amazon retailers. But the Vibrant Orange came in a proper, like, massive box and everything. Um, very, very nice pen. There was no concerns about this one coming in three pieces. This one I wasn't so sure of. The M800 Blue Dunes, I thought, may have come in three pieces. So, yeah. I never buy anything off Amazon that is expensive. Because Amazon third-party um, retailers, they get no vetting at all. But and this wasn't from an Amazon third-party retailer. This was from an Amazon, like Amazon, I think it was US or UK. Like their website? Yes. Yes. Their, but, actual, but they no, have, no, their actual retailer was Amazon US or Amazon UK. Really? Yeah. Ah. So it was not a third-party retailer on the Amazon platform. It was Amazon itself. Sorry, this is a lot of Amazon plugging. It is not. This isn't a plug for Amazon. Okay. I know we've plugged Amazon before. I would not buy a Pelican off Amazon You've again. You've plugged Amazon before. I've I would not buy a, a Pelican off Amazon again. I've had so many troubles with Amazon. Do you, have I told you how last year at the beginning of the, um, the pandemic, I bought $800 worth of masks off yes, Amazon? Yes, but you bought from a third-party retailer. This is the thing. True. And I, they just skipped off with my money and they never delivered. I didn't buy from a third-party retailer. So when I buy off Amazon, I buy either fulfilled by Amazon or sold by Amazon. And so this was sold by Amazon, not a third-party retailer, sold by Amazon. And they didn't tell you that it didn't come with a box? No. Ah, okay. It just came delivered in an envelope and a, and a paper tube that barely passes. It doesn't pass as a box. It this looks isn't like, a box. It looks like a, like a sample, like a retailer's, like, I don't know. Like this is something that would be delivered well, it, to it, retailers or to distributors I don't, in bulk. I, I think this is what the pen actually comes to a retailer in and then the boxes get shipped separately because this actually comes ticketed with a price on it. It actually comes proper ticketed and everything. Let's just say don't buy a, don't buy a Pelican off Amazon because, um, yeah, it is very, very well-priced and I still like stand by the fact that this was a very well-priced pen. Had I known it would have come in an envelope, I may have had a heart attack when I clicked the buy now button. And the pens themselves, they, they're legit? Legit. Nothing wrong with the actual pens. It is a genuine pelican. I will say absolutely genuine pelican. Um, so obviously the Amazon pelican has not been touched yet. And it's an M800. Uh, the likelihood of me using that is quite slim. But the M600 Vibrant Orange... I think is a very good looking pen. It's really interesting. Uh, I really like the resin. I think it's very interesting coloring that they've chosen. I'm not a big fan of the fact that the grip section is black because you can see that through the actual resin itself, but it has a lot of character 
And it reminds me of the M620 Cities range where they experimented with so many different types of resins. And I'm almost wishing that they went back to that type of experimentation on the resins. I mean, they've been doing a very good job with releasing different things recently, such as the red tortoise that I love um, and the recent white M600 ranges that they've been doing. So the 600 is like their experimental resin range. And I think this is this is a very good example of it. Um, I think this is a better looking, the vibrant orange is a better looking pen than the vibrant green, which is the same type of resin, but in an emerald green color. I think the orange is more unique than the green. Um, I don't regret it. No. But I have all of the pen enablers, pen enablers on Fountain Pens Oceania to thank for this one because someone pointed me in the direction of uh, cheap M600 Vibrant Oranges. I wasn't going to buy one, but here I am. Those are exactly the sort of purchases I try not to make nowadays. I don't collect that many brands anymore. So I'm very set in my ways now in that there are only certain brands that I collect because I go, oh, shiny new color. Pelican happens to be one of them, uh, as well as Decimos. But um, Pelican happens to be one of the ones where if I see a resin that I really quite like, I do jump at it. So, for instance, even though, like I said, I don't like the M800. I really don't like the M800. But I did buy the M800 Deep Sea, Deep Ocean, the, uh, the, like, the speckled resin in the dark teal finish. And I do like the Blue Dunes resin as well. And I like the Vibrant Orange resin. So, I don't know. Okay. Um, Last of our recent acquisitions. This is also something that I ordered many months ago and that arrived in the last couple of weeks. Um, So, ooh, rewind. I think back to November, there was an episode of – so, Kat and Matthew, um, their podcast, and they – what were they talking about? They were reviewing some recent nibs that they'd ordered from Jeremiah Monty Winfield in the U.S., um, he's a so Jeremiah is a I think a practicing jeweler, and he's just getting into making grinds and um, welding his own fountain pen nibs and making pens as well. I think on the side. Um, so on his website, you have a range of fountain pens which are not in stock at the moment, but he also makes um, very unique stacked nibs and grinds them to order if you'd like them. Um, so. Kat and Matthew, they were reviewing a few of these nibs and um, talking about the um, professional finish um, of these welds on the nibs that Jeremiah produces. And um, I thought I need to get my hands on one of these just to, you know, try them out and have a look at this work. So I made an order on um, Monty Winfield, the website. I ordered a owl nib, um, which is this supremely like wedge-shaped, like triangular wedge-shaped nib with um, an overfeed on it. It's just like so extreme. Um, That's the owl nib and also the peregrine triple stacked nib. It's a less extreme version of a stacked nib. It's more of a sort of an everyday writing um, size, if you can call like a triple stack nib an everyday writing nib. Um, But it's definitely not as broad. It's 
not as um, illegible when you have to write with it. Both um, are really, really nicely finished. So these nibs, they both arrived um, last week um, by DHL or FedEx? No, they arrived by FedEx from the US um, after like four months or so. Um, and yeah, it was everything that I expected. Um, the finish on them is gorgeous. The feed keeps up with the flow of the ink, despite the size of the nibs. Um, although I have to say, if you know, if you write really, really fast for an entire page, they will start to run dry at the bottom of the page. Um, but I've been comparing them with a couple of my other really, really broad nibs like the Sailor Cross Emperor. So that's a Nagahara um, nib. That is much more like moderate and controlled in its ink flow. Um, in comparison to the Monty Winfield nibs, it's it's actually more usable, I have to say. Um, I've also been comparing it to so Ralph's uh, Regalia Writing Lab's Crown Epilogue. Um, that nib that he produced, and that's like a real gusher. Um, yeah, just comparing a bunch of these stack nibs, and they're all very interesting in their own ways. Um, some of them are better for writing. Some of them are better for like just putting down a lot of ink so you can see how ink performs. Um, I think it's really exciting to see like the little – refinements that Jeremiah is making with these nibs like if you look at his website he's always making slight variations the downside of that is you can't really guarantee what you're getting when you make an order because like you know is this a first generation peregrine nib is this a second generation like what's changed between the first and the second edition Um, and then he also makes modifications to your writing style like how do you account for that when you order so it's a little bit of um like an experiment when you order the nibs like what exactly you're getting I think um you haven't had a go at these yet no I haven't and I have a question for you a very loaded question what use is a nib like this because it serves no functional writing purpose they are way too large to actually use to write and although I take your point around it is a good vessel through which you can dump ink on a page but when you are writing with an ink you're not dumping ink on a page so what is the use of having an oversized stacked nib that just is quite blobby I can think of three. Ooh. Oh, I, no, it's not as controversial as you think. Because I think I can think of three very good reasons for these. Hit me. Okay. Number one, if you draw um, or if you do like technical sketches, um, maybe not technical sketches because you actually <laughs> yeah, want you precision, want precision in, that. in that. Yeah, but yeah. if you do like, um, you know, what do you call it? Like really fast work. If you do urban sketching, if you do that sort of drawing um, where you like a bit of texture and um, a lot of variation, your line widths when you draw in one particular, in one single tool, I think, you know, it's a good choice. Um, A lot of people, for example, use food nibs when they sketch. Um, This is like a different version. It's, you know, the, the variations like in different places. And once you get used to that, I think you can get a lot of character um, out of the pen in an artist's hand. I was like, I'm not an artist, so that doesn't apply to me. But I can see that it does apply to those who are more artistically inclined. Mm -hmm. 
Second uh, reason for having these nibs, if you're, for example, into calligraphy, especially Asian-style calligraphy, I think. I would – so I, ha- I am not an Asian calligrapher by any stretch of the means, and I have tried many a nib designed for Asian quote-unquote Asian calligraphy, I find that the stacked nibs are all too blobby for the type of definition you want. So the charm of a food nib, for instance, is that you can get quite a lot of line variation without a certain blobbiness from occurring. So try that owl nib and tell me if you think it's blobby. Um, it's It's like a very, very broad architect. And I think for like some Asian style um, characters, for for example, writing in Urdu, um, I remember um, a Fountain Pens Oceania member who I think writes in um, Urdu and the nibs that they use are basically like an architect, like a very broad architect. And I think that might be suitable for that sort of style of, style of writing. Um, so artists, calligraphers or, um, writers in other different alphabets and other characters. And the third option is just, I think if you want a nib that is for playing with inks, that's the reason that I have these nibs, to be honest. I like the fact that you can dump a whole lot of ink, especially an ink like Sailor Ink Studio 123, which is what I have in this particular pen at the moment, um, it dumps so much ink and it really does show this ink in a way that you just don't normally see with a fountain pen nib because it, it, it the line is so broad and it's so wet. It's not for writing. It's just for playing with. And really, I think you might as well ask, what's the point of a Nagahara Cross Emperor? <laughs> Um, I think they're sort of in the same category of nibs that exist not so much for their practical use, but because you can make them and so someone will make them and then you find uses for them. Like the the function comes after the fact that they're made. I hate the fact that (laughs) function follows something that is being made. Like you have to find a function for something that has been made. But so often innovation comes in that um, that order, I think. Like sometimes the need comes before uh, the attempts to fulfill that need. And sometimes like you create something and then you find a use for it. These nibs and they're not for everyone. And like even within the whole stacked nibs, there's like a lot of variation. Some of them are more um, suited for writing than others. So that's the owl nib. That's way too broad. The, the owl nib, nib is way too broad for regular The owl writing. nib was very unpleasant, can I just say? Okay. It was very, very unpleasant. So in Chinese writing, which is what I've just been trying it with, um, I think a fude nib does better. And that owl nib was quite unpleasant to use, not going to lie. I think it was quite rough. It was quite okay. rough. Sharon likes her very practical EFs and Fs. Well, I also, I do like a fude nib, but the fude nib you get, variation with it that you don't get you get variation with a food a nib that you don't get with these nibs it's like it like the food a nib does actually write like a brush whereas these because they're stacked they lose that brush effect anyway 
uh, each to their own from my perspective well, everyone knows my thoughts on like super broad nips, right? I'm just like, why? Why bother? Why? Um, and I get that you're meant to, you know, it shows off inks. I think a good ink should show itself off in a regular size nib. And we shouldn't have to make nibs to show off inks. So the owl nib is not precise at all. There's no precision to it whatsoever. And it's very, very different. So like you can have a look. All the edges are coming off not very clean mm-hmm. across all of these. Yeah, I found the owl nib very difficult to control. Um, like mm-hmm. some angles. Scratchy. No, like, mm, scratchy. I don't find it scratchy, but I, I found, found it, it unex- unpredictable in how it performs at different angles. Like I, I don't know, even by varying the angle of the nib to the pen whether I'm going to get a broader or a finer line so it's like a bit of a like playing Russian roulette exactly what result you're going to get um, but maybe that's because I haven't spent enough time with it we'll see would um, you buy again mm, 10 out of 10 would buy again or would buy again because it's like an experience it's it's like playing with a prototype I'm glad you would buy it because that means I don't have to. Exactly. So, yes, I will fork out money for these prototypes. (laughs) And also I wanted it to compare with, like, my Cross Emperor and also my – But to be fair, your Cross Emperor is like a brush. And the Cross Emperor is very, very nice to use. It is – it shows a level of precision that I think the other – nibs don't have and while i still think the cross emperor is a bit of a ridiculous nib i think it compared is, to the compared uh, to these two that it's not that ridiculous and it's not that ridiculous compared to these two i think it is much more functional but that nib has a it can do a lot more than these ones can because i think it's so well tuned and it's so precise despite it being a fat nib Anything else that arrived in the mail for you recently? Other than a whole bunch of other Tomoe River notebooks that I haven't tried out yet, no. And what do we have that's incoming, that's um, being anticipated at the moment? Nothing, actually. I have nothing really? on the way, aside from one Nakaya that's we're going to be waiting a while. Which Nakaya? Um, so there was a particular roadshow Nakaya that I saw a very, very blurry picture of really blurry picture as in I could barely see the picture but I could vaguely make out some sort of shape and I said I want that one very irresponsibly (laughs) and And did you get a close-up before you ordered it (laughs) sort of not really I paid the deposit then I got the (laughs) close-up um so I got some uh a piccolo with butterflies on it in Maki, just plain Makie butterflies. No Raden on it whatsoever, just plain Makie butterflies. But I really quite like the design. It was very well balanced. It looks like they're two um, goldfish, but uh, they're two butterflies instead. And it was a roadshow pen that they did for uh, one of the uh, special events that uh, I managed to get um, in a special order for. And did you get a soft nib or a music nib? I've not committed yet on the nib. Mm, okay. What about you? Do you have anything incoming? No, I really don't. Any inks incoming? No. I mean, I have one thing 
that I've not put any money down for yet. And that's a couple of pens that I have lined up to send to Bocamondo at some point, um, probably in the next few months. But um, I'm still waiting, you know, for the confirmation of when to send it. And to be honest, like, I'm not, I'm not in a rush because the way that mail is working right now, I don't really know how it's going to work. Am I going to have to like courier it to Japan? Um, is EMS going to work the other way around, like Australia to Japan? Or what's going to happen? I don't know. Um, so maybe we're going to have to wait for Japan to be like fully vaccinated or something. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the latter half of 2021 is when this is going to happen. But um, eventually, I will get two pens, two of my sailors will be shipped to Bocamondo, and she will do her lovely work on them, and I'll have two Bocamondo pens, hopefully by next year. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah, I know. So those are my timelines. I have nothing else lined up for the rest of 2021, to be honest. I don't have much on the radar unless Mont Blanc come out with their food nib, which I'm hoping they will. I don't think that's going to be this year, Sharon. That's fine. I can wait till next year. Or if Mont Blanc decide to actually make that diamond on a food aid nib available to us plebeians, plebeians, pleb, plebeians, 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 pleb, plebeians, plebeians. I don't know. <laughs> it's plebs. <laughs> it's plebs, but I think it's plebeian, right? Oh my gosh. English is my second language. <laughs> that, that's not, that's, that excuse is not going to work forever, Sharon. <laughs> it is my second language. Um, so if Mont Blanc would like to make their diamond on a food nib available to us commoners, then uh, I'm all in for that. Other than that, there's not all that much that I am looking forward to aside from, you know, your regular inflow of limited edition decimos or vps that happen to catch my eye but there's nothing else that i've seen recently that i'm really really excited for um i don't know i I think i'm getting a bit of fatigue from 20 decimos (laughs) i'm getting a bit of fatigue in that there's nothing that i'm seeing at the moment that i'm going wow that's really really interesting and yeah, I will say the Mont Blanc Gemona nib was the first time I went, wow, that's really interesting for a, for a while, actually. Completely understandable. So um, hopefully we won't do another recent acquisitions until maybe this time next year. <laughs> yep. That, that's probably what the timeline is going to look like. Um, so if you have any suggestions on what you'd like to hear us talk about, also write to us and we'll try to accommodate. If you have any questions about what we have acquired mm. and whether or not it was worth splurging the X hundred euros on the Mont Blanc gem on a nib um, <laughs> or whether it was worth splurging the however many – well, actually, I did, I did say how many hundred dollars it was. Did uh, you get a discount for buying or 20 no, but I got a pre-order price, okay. sort of. No, I actually, I paid mostly retail, mostly retail for all of them. Um, or if you want to uh, talk further about buying pelicans in really crap packaging from Amazon, I don't do it, um, message message us. Yeah, message us on Instagram or Facebook. Um, so now we're on to... The final section of the podcast, which is the recommendations, Sharon. What would you like to recommend this episode? I have one generic recommendation and one specific recommendation. 
So my generic recommendation is that given what has been happening in the financial markets recently, I have rewatched the movie, The Big Short. And if you haven't watched it, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. It is a very, very interesting movie. And for uh, someone who does work in finance, I find it ridiculously um accurate in some ways also a bit uh, a bit dramatic in others but overall quite accurate and also a really good insight into how uh, financial markets can move and how people can you know hit jackpot while others kind of fall in a heap I am waiting for GameStop the movie at some point to be released but um, in the meantime I think the big short is worth another plug it is available on Netflix at the moment so I have thoroughly enjoyed that okay that's my non-generic my very very specific recommendation my very specific recommendation is a bottle of Rockford's sparkling black Shiraz so it's As one of the girls who works for me, who may not work for me anytime soon, if she keeps repeating this, it tastes like sparkling Ribena, but it's also really expensive and very, very good. Um, It's a very, it's a really interesting sparkling Shiraz. It's really good for people who don't drink a lot of wine, I find. Yes, yes. But it is an exceptional quality wine in that the Shiraz grapes that they use in this is really, really top notch, but it's very, very palatable. It's very easy drinking. It tends to be slightly sweeter. So for those who like bubbles, but don't like champagne because champagne is quite acidic, uh, this is a very easy drinking uh, wine. Uh, Sparkling Black Shiraz, you can actually buy it at the moment, which is really, really rare because Rockfords don't usually sell to the general public or you have to go to their cellar door to actually buy it. You can now buy it direct from Rockfords. Um, if you're within Australia, they will ship anywhere within Australia. Really? Okay. Yep. Cause I Call got, them up. Oh, I got my black Shiraz from Langton's and they, and they like charge a you limit. a premium. They charge you such a premium. So the black Shiraz direct from Rockfords is $75. If you buy from, if you buy from Langton's or any other reseller, it's 150, but Holy Rockfords, sh- Rockfords only allow a limit of three per person. So you only can uh, get three bottles per person. So you can get a bottle of three of their black sparkling black Shiraz and three of their basket press. So Shiraz. here's the thing, like this is not a vintage um, sparkling wine. You can get it in a vintage, but the regular one is I think 75 or $70, something like that. But it's so good. It's real. It's so different, and it is very good as a starter, as a main, or even as a dessert wine. It's kind of a wine for all age, uh, all ages, actually, all for all ages. Good with food. It's like very, very food. good with food, um, and it is something that's quite different if you like something quite bubbly. And it is currently available from Rockfords, which Australia. is Australia, Rock, Rockfords, Australia, uh, which is a vineyard down in South Australia. And if I can fly again, I will make my way down to South Australia to visit the cellar door. Actually, Rockford's, I know their basket press Shiraz was released. The 2018 was just released recently. Just released, yes. yes. So you can also order from them direct at the moment. An excellent Shiraz. That's very cellarable. Anyway, (laughs) um, wine nerding over. Um, My recommendation, I also have two. Um, My... 
Audible account, um, I have an Audible subscription, so I get like a credit every month. And recently I used that credit on a nonfiction book called The Emperor's Feast, uh, which is a book by Jonathan Clemens, a sinologist, um, who wrote about Chinese food across like the last 4,000 years or so. Um, It's like to – to talk about 4,000 years of culinary history in one book is quite a feat. So um, you don't expect like a huge amount of depth, but I think for a layman as an introduction to Chinese history and Chinese food, um, it's really engaging. Um, and Jonathan Clemens, he reads the audiobook himself and he's really good like a uh, performer for his audiobook. I listened to this audiobook in its entirety last weekend while I was knitting um, a pair of mittens. <laughs> this is what I like to do when um, I'm doing something repetitive with my hands. I listen to an audiobook and it was just really enjoyable. Um, I think the through line through um, this book is how much drinking um, <laughs> Chinese people do. Despite their vehement protests that they're like not drunkards, um, I think if you listen to Chinese poetry, if you read Chinese poetry, if you like read all Chinese about po- drinking it's all underneath about the moon, <laughs> like they don't they don't write very much about their food. They don't, even though we love food, um, Chinese people, um, all the notable poets they only write about wine. <laughs> they don't care about the food so much. Which I think is a hint as to their state of mind when they're writing. How permanently sloshed some of them were. And I think that's part of the culture as well. Um, So the audio book or the book itself is called The Emperor's Feast. It's uh, like a culinary history um, of Chinese food by Jonathan Clements. Uh, My other recommendation is knitting. No, it's a TV show. Um, so I did. I I wasn't sure whether to recommend this because um, it's very hard to access. But um, the USA America TV series called The Queen of the South is releasing its fifth season. So it's I think its final um, season will be airing from April seventh. I think so um, next week because we're recording on the fourth. Is it the 4th or the 5th today? Um, We're recording on the 4th, so it'll be released next week. And um, I love this series. It's about um, a female drug kimping uh, from Mexico who establishes herself in the U.S., and um, overcomes all these adversities, like rivals. Like she's a real, she's a really dynamic anti-heroine. She's played by Aliti Braga the great Brazilian actress and um, the, like all her co-stars, they're all guys. Um, There's there's one girl, but like, she's, she's such a great female anti-heroine. And um, I don't see a lot of those, to be honest, in um, mainstream television. Um, So she's this great character, like a really great and really fun action Um, series it's been running like I said for four seasons coming into its fifth and the thing about it is that in Australia it's actually quite hard to see um, to catch this show currently seasons one to three are available on Netflix but I don't know where Australians can see uh, season four I accessed it by 
um, um, like probably non-legitimate means, but (laughs) (laughs) so like I'm, I'm of that generation, you know, like Napster, we do a lot of pirating. Oh my God. (laughs) You're showing your age Napster. My goodness. (laughs) Yes. I'm not going to tell you where you can watch season four because I'm not quite sure. Um, But if you're in the U S season five, will be dropping on USA uh, very very soon and um, you can I recommend you catch up on seasons one to four if you haven't already I think it's a great show if you're looking for like an action adventure series with a great female character at its lead so queen of the south so thank you Sharon um, for joining me this episode thank you Di and your spending habits <laughs> past and future episodes of this podcast can be found at the and wherever you listen to podcasts Hop onto Apple Podcasts, rate us, review us, recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thenibsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us on the Nib Section Facebook page or at the Nib Section on Twitter and Instagram. The Nib Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania that produces this episode by Sharon Zapp and Dinah Dye. Recording and editing was done by Dinah Dye. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Mother Zagraff. Thanks for listening.